teams right now are doing what they can with the resources they have to retain sponsors. If you have $75,000 that's tied to a specific asset in venue, you essentially are having to take the value of that and then convert that into something else. You're talking, you're speaking with a, you know, Fortune 100 company CTO. It, you know, those conversations and how data is managed is dramatically different than really there's no CTO in sports, but a VP of IT, it's dramatically different. So are we looking at a time where it's beneficial to have CTOs on sports teams now because we're moving in such a direction of engagement and this data first world? Hey, you're listening to the Loop Experience Podcast. Join us for exclusive interviews, behind the scenes updates, and all things Loop. Coming at you from the head office storage room, I'm your host, Dev. I'd like to welcome back our listeners for episode four of the Loop Experience podcast. Our guest today is Danny Spataro. Danny has recently joined our team as our Senior Director of Sales uh, for Sports and Entertainment. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thank you. Excited to be here. Perfect. Before we dive into all the great things we'll be doing here at Loop, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, so you have over 15 years of experience in collegiate athletics, professional sports, and SaaS sales. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I've been in the sports and entertainment industry dating back to 2004 when I began as a graduate assistant for Central Michigan University, Go Chippewas, and or I should say Fire Up Chips. And I entered the field, if you will, both academically and practically, not really knowing what I was wanting to do in the sports field, right? I felt like that my passion was sports and I knew I was having a real interest in the field, but really no direction whatsoever on what I was wanting to do within the field. And then I wound up taking on a role in which I was selling sponsorship advertising for a track championship that the Mid-American Conference hosted in Mount Pleasant. From there, my career path really began and I've had the opportunity to, to work with many different schools through the Learfield IMG College Network. And within that network, actually, this was Learfield before the merger. And I had the opportunity to work at multiple different universities from the University of Memphis to Texas A&M to Arizona to Penn State to Northwestern to Harvard, primarily serving in a sponsorship sales capacity and then working in professional sports taking a diversion into big data, working for Oracle, and most recently SSB, and I joined the Loop Insights team here about a month ago. So it feels like you've always kind of been involved in sports. Did you grow up playing a lot of sports? Was that kind of your driver to get involved in the sports field? I did. I always had a passion for sports. I played every single sport that you can think of from individual to team sport growing up. And then once um, in high school, I was a three-sport athlete. I played football, I wrestled, and I played baseball. And in college for my undergrad, I was a collegiate rugby player. And so I just always loved the, the team aspect and all the different challenges that, that came out of sport and just always had a passion for that and knew at some point that I would work in the field. And at that point in time, there was not really – an academic awareness from sports management like it is today that you see at you know at an undergrad and master's level and then really to get into the field i 
you know, was able to, to wind up being lucky doing something that I absolutely love and have, have a passion for. And certainly playing sports and being a fan of sport is, uh, is definitely, uh, you know, a strong, um, you know, for me, a strong passion point. That's interesting that you say that you kind of got to experience this field grow as you were probably in college and university, getting to that point of where this actually becomes a profession where we're looking at data, insights, analytics, and not just for a general sense, but we're looking at it specifically in the sports sense and how much uh, those key pieces pay in the overall plan of where sports is going. And is that involved in sponsorship, um, athletes, uh, just fan engagement, all those insights tied together must have been something that kind of was what everyone eventually wanted. And then as soon as you started entering into the field, it was actually something tangible that you could see for a job as you're most definitely. And one of the really neat things about my experience is that I was a part of in the sponsorship and revenue generating era of, of sports sponsorships where you would you would be efficient enough to just sell a sign with some tickets and, and maybe an on-site activation. And that was good enough. And I was a part of that evolution where data became such a critical component to how brands would then perform an analysis on, on an ROI for every dollar spent, what is the return? And, and started to really look at a little bit more data-centric type of, of decision-making. So on the property side, on the team sports side, there was a need and there was a requirement for there to be an understanding in not only third-party date, third data of what the market is saying, but most importantly, first-party data. What are your fans and, and more specifically, fans that are choosing to engage with these partners, what are they doing? And then as the, the ecosystem and as things have become more sophisticated and, and have evolved, brands and teams, leagues, et cetera, are looking to have that one-to-one -one relationship with their fans. So from your past experience, you've worked in companies like Learfield and Oracle. You've obviously seen that progression of data being just kind of out there, people are like, yeah, I need to be collecting data. It's something important for the business, right up to a kind of an exponential growth of nowadays where everyone's uh, working on a data first approach and data drives everything. It drives fan engagement, it drives revenue, it drives your marketing, where everyone is looking for an educated approach and not just what we've kind of been doing in the past and be like, does that look good? Is that going to sell my hot dog? So kind of what is your experience um, with, I guess, your past experience moving from that uh, kind of data is good to data is needed approach from all these teams and specifically in sports? You know, with with my background, I, I really had a, a unique experience because I went from selling subjective data as it relates to fans being 80 percent more likely to purchase a, a you know a product or service if they sponsor a team and that we would use that combined with some other data points that were pretty light that would help us move a deal forward or help us close a deal. And then we would rely upon third-party data to then measure the success in tandem with the partner, right? So from that, transitioning to working at, at Oracle, where data was king, data was gold, because now you're talking about enterprise-level warehousing on-premise versus cloud, all the different services associated with that, right? What is the impact of how the data is managed? How is that data structured so that we can bring that forward with the different departments and then be able to accomplish the KPIs? 
whether it's operational efficiency, whether you're talking about revenue outcomes, whether it's being able to um, forecast ahead. And so if you're talking, you're speaking with a, you know, Fortune 100 company CTO, it, you know, those conversations and how data is managed is dramatically different than really there's no CTO in sports, but a VP of IT, it's dramatically different in the fact that sports is behind, I feel like, as there may be limitations from team to team based on the organization themselves and what type of emphasis they're putting into building out very, not only robust data warehouses, but what actions and what outcomes are they driving from being able to have all that data brought together? First and foremost, the different data sources that you have available, all the different partners and vendors that are in your ecosystem that fans engage with, from your ticket vendor, to your parking vendor, to your Wi-Fi vendor, and so on and so forth, of being able to bring that into a warehouse, clean it most importantly, not just stream it, but clean it, and then reposition that to the business so that you have essentially a record, a composite record, in which you're able to then make outcome-based decision-making from what you're able to visualize from the warehouse. And I want to touch on something that you said there too, as the actual expanse and the the roles that are required to actually make something out of that data and make it useful. Um, you said you said before that not every um, sports team has an official CTO to kind of run their operations, their technical advancements, their data integrations. So are we looking at a time where it's beneficial to have CTOs on sports teams now because we're moving in such a direction of engagement and this data first world? I think I think it has to be an all encompassing yes, right, to start and have strong leadership or strong emphasis, whether you're CTO or VP of IT, of not only at the starting point of having strong leadership, but having the vision of what that looks like long term and resources to support that. So in my experience at Oracle, I may be talking to a VP of IT or CTO, but working in tandem with the team, there's a director, there may be two directors of ITs, there may be five or six DBAs. So hands-on keys, people are, are, are able to contribute to that and be able to have a plan, a vision of what that looks like, both short and long-term. So I think of rather than looking at and saying a CTO is necessary, there needs to be, okay, what is the, from a resourcing and staffing standpoint, what does my team look like? But most importantly, what are my desired outcomes? What am I looking to do in business? Am I looking to grow revenue? Yes. Am I looking to do that by selling more sponsorships and also um, selling more tickets? I would assume the answer is yes. Am I looking to have a better connection with my fans? And I am I looking to be better at, at, at mobilizing and engaging the community. And so I think all of these things play a role into what those desired outcomes are for a specific team and leap. Okay, and there's a few things in there that I wanna come back and touch on of how kind of loop actually integrates and helps with those things. Uh, but first, just kind of wrapping up your background, I wanna touch on SSB a little bit. So ultimately, SSB enables their clients, sports and entertainment, nonprofits, higher education to make educated, actionable and profitable decisions to take business to a new level. That sounds a lot like what Loop is doing. 
Um, how is Loop different than what SSB is doing? And what, what's your experience kind of now knowing behind the scenes of both the services and both the companies? I, I, you know, first and foremost, my experience with SSB was absolutely fantastic. And the product and services that they have available for the professional sports teams and the institutions of, you know, within higher education is absolutely amazing. And the real differentiator for, for us here at, at Loop and, and what we're bringing to the market is taking that to the next level of having the real-time insights. That is a, that is a premium. That is something that as I have seen real-time be defined, there seems to be a variant variance of what real-time is and what real-time isn't. Real-time for us is down to the second, down to the transaction. We are able to then visualize that and put that back to the business, matching it back to the golden record, matching it back to your data ecosystem with the other business sources so that you as a marketer, right? If I'm trying to sell a sponsorship, I can push real-time promotions and incentives to my fans, whether they're in venue or not. And I think the virtual venue and when things come back online and, and however normal is or whatever normal is redefined, we know one thing is the fact that there is an emphasis and a re-emphasis on continued engagement with our fans, whether they're in venue or not. And Loop can provide that, Loop Insights can provide that in real time. You've been in the industry for a long time. What are some of the major pain points that you're seeing from these teams, from these sporting arenas? What, what's the main thing that they're coming to you before the pandemic, but now probably specifically with the pandemic that's caused hindrance to their engagement? What are they coming for you and really listing as their pain points? I think from, from the team perspective, one of the biggest pain points is really, I mean, stating the obvious, right? The uncertainty of when we're going to be able to open back up. And I think the major, the biggest pain point that I have seen are the fact that the ticketing and and that 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 type of revenue teams were heavily dependent upon, right? Heavily dependent upon gate revenue. And and I think that is now obviously from a revenue perspective, has become a you know a detrimental pain point because there's no fans in the stands. So I think there's really two parts to that. The first part is that has put a, a, a real emphasis on corporate partners and corporate sponsorship and driving sponsorship revenue. And driving sponsorship revenue is going to look much different. There was a trend back 10 years ago on the whole digital and social and being able to put a banner ad on a website or doing a, a you know a, a promotional post on, on Facebook. That is how we defined digital and social a decade ago. That has dramatically evolved and changed. And there is a need and there is a want from the brand side to have continued engagement with fans. And then you parlay that into the team itself and their continued need for that engagement with their fan base, right? Leveraging the technology that exists today or new technologies to better have that one-to-one -one relationship with their fans. That is definitely a pain point that ties into not only the marketing aspect of the teams, but also being able to drive the sponsorship revenue. The second component of that is the engagement piece, right? All the different platforms that, that teams have heavily invested in, right? There's, there's all the different ESPs and all the different um, systems that, that teams have invested heavily in. It's maximizing those investments so that they can have 
better engagement within the marketplace. Those are really the, the, the prominent ones that, that jump out to me. And the last one is having your finger on the pulse of the business. It goes right back to the real-time um, need for, for, for the teams and for the brands themselves, whether that's at retail or whether that's in venue, eventually when we're opening back up or slightly opening back up in some cases. And there is a real need for that in the marketplace. And I guess from there, where do you see Loop answering these pain points in your sales calls? What are people really perking up about the offerings that Loop is providing? I think the the, the, the main point that really jumps out to me on, on the conversations that I've had is is really twofold. It, the first and foremost is looking at the current landscape from a sponsorship standpoint of how can we better engage our fans? and getting creative with that, whether it's creating a virtual venue or whatever it may be, and driving that business for new line revenue for teams, right? So directly tie that into a sponsorship opportunity. And that is definitely something that is of, of an area of interest for, um, for for many of the clubs that we are having active conversations with. Because if, if you look at it as an, as an aggregate, teams right now are doing what they can with the resources they have to retain sponsors. And then, so as a part of that, if you have $75,000 that's tied to a specific asset in venue, you essentially are having to take the value of that and then convert that into something else. If you're unable to convert that into another asset, a digital mobile asset, then there's the potential that you would lose out on that revenue for for this year and for, for other years. So we know that is a a significant pain point for clubs and teams that are in maybe better position where they could look at this as new line revenue to drive new sponsorship sales. Definitely something that is is driving the um, is is driving that that uh, that that need and, and that um, you know di- you know tying that back into sponsorships. I think the second component is is really taking that taking what you can do within the the wallet pass, and then being able to stitch that back into the venue experience and being able to reward them and incentivize fans real time. And then and then how that really circulates back into your data ecosystem of having it from CRM to wallet pass, of being able to have that one-to-one relationship with your fans and with your customers. One thing that uh, you touched on earlier was these stadiums and these teams being really focused on gate revenue and that being one of their key definers of success. What what have we seen as we move away from maybe less fans actually going to games and enjoying it from home, specifically now with the pandemic of almost all fans enjoying it from home? You touched on how engagement is a key piece there. Is there any other pieces or things that you're seeing or realizing in the industry that sports teams are adapting to to engage fans more at home? You know, because it's funny because I'm actually an um, adjunct professor <laughs> um, and we I'm teaching a sports marketing class. And we're actually talking about this generational like this new wave and, and this new wave is 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 into these unique experiences. They want to have something that either special access that nobody else has or they want to be able to talk about something that nobody else is doing. Right. So call it being a part of like a tribe or or just having a sense of like an intimate community. And, it, and it's, it's, it's 
So whether you're doing that on the digital front or you whether you're doing that in stadium or whatever it may be. I mean, when I was at the Red Sox, we were talking about partnering with like Match.com or Bumble or some of these like apps and creating like these intimate, these lounges that were specific for people that had like Bumble on their phone, right? So it's like they have a desire and a need for something that's unique and special that's specific to them. So whether that's at home or whether that's in venue, it's figuring what figuring out what that looks like. I think one thing is clear that fans want to be engaged. Fans want to be in the know. But most importantly, what we've seen, and we've seen this to scale now in a generational aspect, is that fans want that unique experience, but they also want you to speak directly to them. They are wanting, they have a different need than, say, fans did 30 years ago or 10 years ago, is they want something that is special, that is specific, that is unique to them, that gives them, whether it's a special offer, whether it's special access, whether it's a special incentive, uh, something that is special, that is tailored to them, that is custom to them, that is something that is serving from a fan base in the marketplace as whether it's at home or whether it's in venue, but specifically at home, I want something that's special and unique to me. I wanna know that you have taken the time to understand who I am and, and what, I, what my needs are and then meet those needs and satisfy those needs. So I hear during uh, COVID, as we're starting to slowly reopen again, you've really started to get into boxing. How How is um, things like that helping you balance work, the pandemic, family? I mean, for one, we're all in this together right now. And it is finding me time could be a bit of a challenge. And so luckily, I have a wife and a support system that's extremely supportive um, and very supportive of each other for the the physical and and the working out and i've always been someone who always seeks new challenges and that's from playing rugby in college to doing crossfit to running marathons a half marathon to powerlifting, olympic lifting and a century ride i mean so on and so forth and i felt like um, i actually boxed my freshman year of college and I have not done that since. So I'm really looking at this as a physical athletic conquest and challenge. I do 30 minute mitt training and it's a fantastic way to stay in shape, take out some aggression and lose some weight, keep me healthy. And, and it's a pretty intense workout. So it's been something that I've been fortunate enough to, to do and, and have that balance with, uh, you know, being able to to you know to stay in shape and take care of myself mind body and it's worked out great that's awesome i know here in vancouver we're we're slowly starting to open up to being able to do things like that group classes so i'm super excited to get back into gyms some gyms are open some gyms are closed so it's all just kind of luck of the draw if you got one that stayed open um the last kind of question that i want to ask you here is What's something that you've learned during this pandemic? Maybe it's a hobby that you picked up or something that you really want to teach yourself or something that just came out of COVID itself. What's something that you learned? The main thing that I've learned is how precious time is and really have gone to appreciate the time that I have and was able to spend with my family and most importantly, my kids who are uh, I have twin twin daughters and they're five, they'll be six here in a couple months. And they were transitioning from pre-K and into kindergarten and now they're in kindergarten. 
And one thing that that anyone that has kids, uh, whether they're, you know, one or, or fully grown and moved out of the house is that that is something that you would cherish of being able to have time to spend with them. And and we were able to, to do that. So we really took full advantage of our time together as a family. Sometimes it was stressful and other times we, we try to have fun with it. But I would like to believe that that my kids and my wife and we all enjoyed the time together as as much as as I did. And it really put in to perspective just how valuable and precious time is and 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 time well spent. So I think that was definitely something that that jumped out to me um, that was, you know, again, could be extremely stressful. But looking back and 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 being able to, you know, have uh you know, the, 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 the daddy uh, teacher, or they used to call me the daddy substitute teacher and trying to whiteboard our, our sight words and, and things like that. And just watching them grow and being a part of that and not having to travel because in sports and in this industry, you, you travel quite a bit. And so my wife for her job, she previously had to travel quite a bit. And so with no travel, that meant there was more more time for us to spend together as a family, and I, I I'm greatly uh, you know greatly cherish that, and it definitely put a, a a different perspective on the value of time. That's good to hear. Thank you, Danny, for joining us today. To our listeners, you'll hear a lot more from Danny as we move forward with all of our great sports initiatives. And stay tuned for next week when we have our next guest on the show. Okay.